The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 872 for Monday, May 24th, 2021. Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We share your cool stuff found in your tips. We share some cool stuff found and tips of our own, and we answer your questions. We do our level best to answer your questions. We at the very least share your questions so that the community can help answer your questions. The goal is that each and every one of us, when we get together, we learn five new things every single time. Sponsors for this episode include headspace.com slash MGG, Amazon Pharmacy at amazon.com slash MGG RX, clever, MaxSales.com with Otherworld Computing, and Skosh Industries, where code MGG20 gets you 20% off uh, through June 6th. So you got to check that out too. We'll talk more in depth about each of those in a little bit here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut. This is John F. Braun. How goes Fairfield, Connecticut with John F. Braun today? It is just beautiful out. That's good. That's good. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, we're having some nice weather. In fact, I think my gig to, on Saturday, we're recording this Friday, which is a little early for us, but that's okay. But it was supposed to be rained out, and right now it's looking like probably not going to be rained out. So, yeah. John's got a problem. Uh-oh. They're coming to get you, man. Don't get caught. No. I told you. How it's many? Fire. Th- oh, okay. Fire engine. Hopefully not to your house. Uh, nope. Hopefully, <laughs> one did stop at the house next to me though once. That's not good. Yeah, it was. It was more an ambulance call. Oh, well, I hope everything was okay. Mm, yeah, kind of. Okay. Yeah, sometimes things aren't. You want to? Uh, you want to take us Let's to some? Quick get tips? into it. Good. All right. So here's a really quick one. So uh, Alex wrote in. Well, first he told a little story, but then he condensed it. So I'm gonna. Just condense it. <laughs> they are quick um, tips after all. Yes. Yeah, this is quick. Uh, command delete. Uh, well, if you highlight something in the finder, do command delete, it goes in the trash. But what if you put it in there by mistake? Well, first off, if you put it in the trash, it doesn't empty it immediately. I don't think. Uh, I think that's then, right. Yeah. But then command delete if it's in the trash, we'll return an item to its original location. And I, I have done this in the past. Oh. So it's a undo trash. Undo trash with the same keyboard shortcut that you would use to put it in the trash. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Huh? Cool. I like it. Nice. All right. And then, uh, so yeah, I, I uh, discovered um, a way to extend the precise location with an air tag so uh, so i what i reported to you um was accurate in the past that it seems to go about 100 feet but i was only getting about 30 feet um for precise location it's like okay um here's a way to get more uh so where I had the AirTag before was in the center console. So you're talking okay. about an AirTag in your car. Correct. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That's a place that would that that would be a natural place to put it in the glove box or the center console or something. Sure. Yeah. Um, here's the problem with that, though, is that 
there's still stuff in the way. Now, even though my car is mostly plastic, um, there's still some metal and there's also some liquids. And for the frequencies that we're talking about here, um, that's that dampens the signal or blocks the signal. I was like, you know what? I took my air tag and you know where I put it, Dave? I put it on my rear view mirror. Oh, so now brilliant. So now there's and and a little adhesive. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Um, here's the thing now. There's nothing in the way except gla- there's still some metal in the way, but much less than it being buried in the center of the car. Um, here's what happened is that I got precise location up to not 30, not 40, not 50, not 60, but 70 feet. Whoa. And I think you saw I posted a picture of it. I was like, wow, that's a a big improvement. Here's another tip. If there's nothing, if you are between your phone and the AirTag, that's also going to shorten the uh, precise range. Why, you may ask? Because you're a big bag of mostly water. Well, you're an ugly bag of mostly water. If we're (laughs) we're going by Star Trek lingo, that's That's, right. That's Yeah, that's what they call this. Yeah. so if you have nothing between your phone and the air tag, then you can get up to 70 feet from what I've seen. So. I like it. Huh. That's gr- what? Oh, great thinking. I like that. Uh, what kind of adhesive did you use? Just like, like, um, um, it's double sided tape that I also use for some other purposes. Okay. So know, nothing or- super sticky. I mean, I guess they're lightweight. So double sided tape is enough. That's great. Yeah, I think it's, uh, is it scotch? I think it's scotch. But, yeah, you know, sure. Scotch makes it, 3M makes it, um, so. I like it. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. Good one. You got more quick tips for us? I think we do. So we got one from Darius. Um, uh, talking about accessibility triple click under accessibility touch back tap. Double or triple back tap on the Apple logo and magic will happen. You can assign a plethora of options to run the system, accessibility, or even iOS shortcuts. Um, and he's correct. And actually, I had <laughs> um, a funny thing happen the other day. So uh, I was noticing that my phone, when I was playing one of my games, is that my phone would go to control center. Uh, seemingly at random. And I'm like, is it a bug in iOS? Is it a bug in the, I'm like, Oh, I remember I did a triple tap shortcut to get to control center. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I undid that. I because... had one set to do screenshots <laughs> with either a double or a triple tap, John. And it, it was like, it, they will misfire. So don't, you know, make sure that whatever the, action that you put in for one of these is not something that like sends a message to someone else without confirmation or anything like that. Like they, it will misfire uh, because it, it's not actually sensing that you're tapping on the back of it. It's just sensing that the phone is being tapped. I I Mm -hmm. think it's, it's that you don't have to tap on the front of the screen, but Tapping on anywhere on the phone can cause these to trigger. So, yeah. 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 It's cool. Well, I would think it's using the accelerometer to detect this. I think you're right. That would make the most sense. That's right. Yeah. Mm Because there's not actually a tap sensor on the back of the phone or something. Right. 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 Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Fun. All right. And then Matt Matt has a a quick one here. And uh, 
there's going to be some additional information elsewhere about how to do this. Um, but uh, he says, hi, guys, since you talk about homebrew fairly regularly, I thought I would share this trip. I have found that many commercial applications, I think he means open source. Um, no, not necessarily. The ones he's talking about here aren't necessarily open source. I think you can put a package into homebrew, right? doesn't have to be open source. It just has uh, to be available for free. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, but he says here, uh, uh, he found that many commercial applications such as Coconut Battery, Source Tree, VLC, Vivaldi, VS Codium, Draw.io can be installed via Homebrew. I like this option because then I can update them all using Homebrew's update function and not get bugged to update every time I reboot or launch something. And then he has a script here, which we'll, uh, we'll have to uh, post. Yeah, we'll post it in the forums. Uh, he he created an auto updater script for homebrew so that he doesn't have to type brew update um, to uh, you know too regularly. He, he, one thing I will say about homebrew because his script it goes it's, it's a very complex script, uh, complete script. It's not complex, uh, and it, uh, it it will have him post it in the forums or we'll post it in the forums so you can see it. But essentially, what it does is it runs brew upgrade, then brew upgrade cask then brew cleanup and then brew doctor. Uh, th- those are all fine to run. And, and it, the, the one that's potentially a duplicate is brew cleanup. If you run brew upgrade and it's been more than 30 days since brew has done a cleanup, it will automatically do a cleanup for you now. And that's, that's as of the last 18 months or so, like it's not brand new, but it's new enough that if you didn't, if you didn't know it, when you started with homebrew, you might not, have it in your kind of in your in your mindset but um but yeah that's great that's that's um yeah good stuff yeah i always forget that i can install things that aren't command line utilities maybe that's the right way to say this it is possible to install some gui utilities if the developers make them available that way uh with homebrew i liked it that's good cool fun stuff good little quick tips i like quick tips i like cool stuff found too randall uh, has one for us. And Randall says, I'm not sure if you have mentioned this service before. It's called PlayOn.tv. It is a virtual DVR uh, recording service, and it uh, it records to what they call the PlayOn Cloud. So he says it can save you uh, lots of money building up your video library. We'll leave it to y'all as to whether or not this is copacetic in your jurisdiction. But uh, Randall continues with the steps to use this. He says, you watch a show on a streaming service like Netflix, Amazon video, HBO max, the CW Disney plus, etc. You tell their iPhone app, you want it recorded. The virtual DVRs use your login info to record the show in either 780 or 1080p. Then you get a link when their recording is ready to download as an MP4. You pay by buying recording tokens uh were about 10 or 20 cents each purchased ahead of time he says right now 260 credits are 30 bucks he says i find this a ton easier than ripping content and there are no legal or dm drm issues perhaps that's true in randall's jurisdiction just make sure that's true in yours uh he says you can even record and keep downloads of rentals it gets more questionable. Uh, or you can have them store your downloads for a monthly fee. Uh, you can watch on any device and even uh, watch on your iPhone. Subtitles and audio descriptions are captured if they are enabled when you first watched. So a cool service. Again, check into whether it's cool for you. But um, 
but I like this. Uh, the time shifting idea is good. The being able to play anywhere is good. It's one of the things I love about Plex. So uh, anything that that adds to that is good. Cool. You got one for us, John? Uh, Todd has one for us here. Um, uh, this is a site that is built personally by Paul Bowden. Who's Paul Bowden? Ah, Principal Program Manager, Office for Mac. Uh, crazy details like uh, Microsoft Mac Teams Slack usernames. He was on a Zoom presentation and shared the site, which is at um, macadmins.software. That's kind of neat. I didn't know that software was a, a valid yeah. uh, completer. But, uh, Evidently, yeah. Uh, he started the site to assist himself in his job. A lot of useful info on the main page and in the header links. Very cool if you use Microsoft Office on the Mac. Yeah, this. Um, did you dig into this? This looks pretty cool, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not deeply. But, um, yeah, I, I gave up on Office for Mac long ago who even though <clears throat> we got uh review copies i'm okay with apple stuff tell you the truth uh, yeah, oh for sure yeah you know, no, pages uh, numbers all that yeah th- this resource is killer like if you're using mm-hmm. office in your and especially if you're in charge of troubleshooting office having mm-hmm. all of these things at your fingertips is huge so i i will say that um, like you, I stopped using office. Now I still, because I, I still like work. I often have to deal with people that are using office on their end and using Apple's tools with that is absolutely a disaster. You, wow. You got a big truck going by, um, using yeah. Apple's tools with that is absolutely a disaster because Apple's tools don't natively read and write office documents they um they will translate them and convert them to pages or numbers or whatever and then translate them back out to office and and things get lost in that translation especially if you're just passing a document back and forth doing quick edits so you definitely want something that can read and write office documents as a native thing uh but I, for years, have used LibreOffice for that. It's open mm-hmm. source and works really well. Uh, and, and just, you know, it, it is uh, an open office, a version of open office for the Mac. And it's to me, it's the best one that exists. Now, since I started teaching at, uh, at the University of New Hampshire this year, they, um, they, of course, have a site license for Microsoft Office. So I have that again. But on my and I put it on my laptop just so if I'm dealing with things with students, I've actually got Office. But um, but but on my on my iMac right now, Mac Mini down in in my office, I still use LibreOffice. It's it's great. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good stuff. All right. Um, speaking of Microsoft, John, the uh, the good folks at Microsoft have recently made um, the personal features of Microsoft Teams available for free, which is pretty cool. Uh, And it's mainly so that you've got all the stuff that Teams can do for people at work. You can now do at home for your own little, you know, meetings and fans and uh, friends and family stuff and all that stuff. So that's all those personal features uh, in Microsoft Teams are available for free. And we've got a link in the uh, show notes that talks about uh, how, what these are and and how it all works. So that's pretty cool. Um, 
We have some stuff to talk about with backups, John. Uh, in fact, we've got quite a bit of stuff to talk about with backups, including a cool stuff found that I'm sort of saving because mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Uh, the next thing that I want to do, though, is talk about our sponsors, if that works for you, Mr. Braun. No problem. All right. Look, if we've learned anything in the last year, it's that a little bit of self-care is a good thing. And to that end, wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, act, or even be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. Our sponsor, Headspace, here is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in this super easy-to-use app. I've been using Headspace for years, on and off. I'm not perfect with it. Meditation is a practice, not a perfect Right. So I practice and I try. And lately I've been back into it. And Headspace makes it super easy to maintain that practice. If you need help falling asleep, like I said, they've got some wind down sessions that uh, members swear by. They've got stuff that you can do with your kids if you've got kids. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits. They've got like 600,000 five-star reviews, 60 million downloads. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash MGG. That's headspace.com slash MGG for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. It's the best deal offered right now. So head to headspace.com slash MGG today. And our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Otherworld Computing. You know that John and I, we love Otherworld Computing. And it's the place that we go to buy accessories that we need for our Apple devices. And now with those new iPad Pros, they're starting to arrive. And OWC's got all kinds of stuff that can help you with your iPad Pro because these things have all kinds of expandability options. Is expandability the right word? Maybe it's expansion. I don't know. Whatever the word is, OWC has it. They've got the OWC Thunderbolt dock starting at just 169 they've got the thunderbolt hub starting at just 149 they've got the usb-c travel dock which is available now starting at just 64.99 all of this of course at maxsales.com you want to add some storage to your ipad pro well they've got the envoy pro fx goes from 240 gig to 202 terabytes uh those start at 199 over at max sales they've got the mercury elite pro dock that starts at 279 this is the place to go to get whatever you need to expand your new iPad Pro. Go check it out. Visit MaxSales.com like we do. And our thanks to MaxSales, Otherworld Computing, for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. We had a question from Corey. And Corey says, well, Corey says a lot of great things. Corey's the one who makes our Mac Geek Gab app. So when emails come in from Corey... We answer. Uh, Corey says, so thank you, Corey. Uh, can you guys do a segment on Mac uh, on the show uh, about off-site backups? I used Backblaze in the past, but I stopped a while back once they changed their pricing scheme to be per machine. I don't really have someone with a Synology around here that I can cross backup to. So ideally, I'd want a service or scheme that I can install on each of my computers and back them up separately like Backblaze used to be, or still is, if I pay per computer. This is in addition to my normal on-site backups. 
I want to have offsite as an emergency. Yeah, totally understood. And you're right. Things are well, there's lots of the good news is there are lots of options. And John, you and I have found quite a few of them. Uh, there is Backblaze. So I will throw that out there. Um, it's 60 bucks a year. W- let you back up one Mac. And th- because this is something that not all of them let you do it locally attached, direct attached. We should say external drives are able to be included in your backups. Then there's Carbonite Home. For $72. So we'll start with Backblaze and we'll compare against it. Uh, Carbonite Home, $72 a year. External drives, though, are an add-on option. Uh, iDrive, so those two have unlimited storage, uh, as far as I can tell. John will correct me if I'm wrong, because I think he's got more details than me. Uh, And then there's iDrive Personal at $69 a year. With a 5 terabyte limit, uh, external drives are included and iDrive Personal adds real-time sync uh, for, like, file collaboration. So a Dropbox-style thing that lives within your 5-terabyte uh, limit. The last one that I will mention is ARC, ARQ, from Haystack Software. And I think this is one that should not be overlooked. They have two programs or two paths. One is what they've been doing for a long time. Uh And it's called ARC, ARQ. You bring your own storage. You buy their app for 50 bucks, one-time purchase, $49.99 really. And then you can sync your backups to pretty much anything. You can sync it to Amazon Drive, Amazon Web Services, Backblaze's B2 storage, uh, Google, uh, OneDrive. If you have an SFTP server, you can back up to that. It's, It's, you know, truly open source backups for Storage reference B2 from Backblaze is $5 per month per terabyte. You don't have to pay the full $5 if you don't have a full terabyte. It's all prorated. That's just a way of thinking about it. Then Arc recently, in the last couple of years, introduced Arc Premium, which is 60 bucks a year. It includes a terabyte of storage, and uh, you can add more storage for 59 cents a month for every 100 gigabytes of, again, prorated. I'm just doing the math for you so you don't have to calculate per gigabyte. Uh, so 60 cents a month for every 100 gigabytes on top of your one terabyte. And five computers are included. So for somebody like Corey, of the things I've talked about, I think Arc Premium might be your answer. But, John, you know a lot more about this than me, or you found a lot more about this than I did. Yes, so I found a, a really good summary, and everything that Dave mentioned is in it, um, from our pals at iMore, um, <clears throat> and also our pals at Apple. So here's the first one I'm going to throw out, Dave, okay. iCloud Drive. Sure. Um, there are some hooks within it that are nice, so it can um, it can put your desktop and documents folder up there in the cloud. So that's kind of neat. Um, and I'll kind of say that iCloud photo library is, is part of that as well. Sure. So, um, I have the 200 gig plan, which is I think three bucks a month. Um, so it's not too expensive. I don't think I would store everything on iCloud drive. Right. Nor would it be easy to do that. Right. Like that's part of the issue with this. Although would arc let us, do that. I'll have to look. 
I got to look at Arc. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Arc will let us sync to iCloud Drive because it's weird. They don't really have an API, right? The only way to do it mm-hmm. is to put things in your documents folder um, or your desktop folder, right? Right. So, or the the iCloud Drive folder. I mean, it's, you you could mm-hmm. you could do that, but it starts to get a little weird because it's more syncing than backup in mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Um, one in the article that caught my eye because I had not heard of it before, and they say it's kind of unique, and I think it is. Um, MSP360, formerly CloudBerry, is a unique cloud backup solution because you control where your backup goes. You can use Amazon S3, Glacier, Microsoft Azure, uh, Google Cloud, OpenStack, Rackspace, HP Cloud, BackBlaze B2, and more. Okay, so that's similar to to Arc, right? Where mm-hmm. you're just you're picking where you're backing up. All right, 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 right. Cool. Uh, let's see. Interesting. And then they had a couple others. Um, uh, eh, Mac backup guru. Okay. <laughs> um, that's one. Another one that yeah, you know, you and I never. Uh, I don't know if I ever got around to this. Uh, I've seen them at some shows. Acronis True Image. Yep. Um, I've used them a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I think the only reason that Acronis did not stick for me is because the way I do my backups is I back up my computers locally to my Synology. And then I let my Synology back up to the Synology C2 cloud. So mm-hmm. it, it like it's all just sort of happening for me there. So I, but I think. Which is why I that's what I use. Right. So that's why I don't use Backblaze anymore. Uh, it's 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 why I don't use a Cronus true image. Although I've thought about when I was traveling a lot, I thought about putting it on my laptop so that I had something backing that up. But then I actually thought about what do I need to back up from my laptop? Everything that's on here is synced to it anyway. Right. My documents are synced to it. My, uh, you know, my email, my bookmarks, like all the things that I use would be there if I set up a brand new laptop uh, anyway. So that's the other thing to think about is, you know, for me, right. I've got, you know, there's three computers I use. There's this one in the studio. There's the one down in the office. And then there's my laptop. I really only need to back up one of them. I do clone the studio, like clone the studio and the office computer so that I have a bootable clone, but it, that's even sort of becoming a, 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 a legacy thing. We'll, we'll use the word legacy and I'll explain why in a minute, but, um, but it's worth kind of taking that zoom out and thinking, what do you actually need to back up here? My laptop, I don't back up. I do. I let it back up to Time Machine because why not? But I'm not sure I'd ever actually use that. It's just more of a safety net, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you um, What do you do, John? Or do you have more? Sorry, well, are there other uh, more to mention? Well, now I'm gonna yeah. So now I'll, I'll let me go into uh, some of the other things that I do. So one, Dave. Um, involves Synology, and there's two pieces of software. So one is that they have Synology Drive, which basically uh, I have it set up. So everything in my documents folder, um, maybe, did I select other folders? No, I may have. But anyways, you can select what files are pushed from your Mac to your Synology um, in their vault. And that's a sync, right? So you can have it. That's like a Dropbox mm-hmm. style thing. So if you have multiple Macs, you can have that folder synced to all of them. But it right. is, but it is on your Synology. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then here's another thing that you can do. So Synology uh, also has something called hyper backup. And um, there's a number of options. You can back up to another Synology. You can back up. Uh, so they break down the categories here. Uh, a, a file server like rsync or webdab is another one. Um, and then they have several cloud services like Dropbox, Google Drive, uh, what else? High Drive, JD Cloud. I think these are Japanese and Synologies in Japan. Uh, Microsoft Rackspace, S3, SFR NAS backup. So they list them all here. Um, that's another way that you can take your content. So there's two steps. So one is, you know, what I want on my Mac put on the Synology and then what on the Synology do I want to put to one of my cloud services? Yep. Yep. And I, like I said, I just use Synology C2 cloud. It, it's, mm-hmm. it, it integrates ex- exactly with hyper backup. That's the, that's the utility on Synology. I used to do it, but, um, but yeah, yeah. And they well. do have, and I think they do have now, I, I don't know if it's released yet, but I think you can try it out, but they introduced recently at their last event, they introduced this thing they call a uh, Synology hybrid cloud, which is where you can define uh, a volume, but it, it exists on both your Synology and their C2 uh, cloud service. Yeah, I think that's coming in Synology DSM seven. If mm-hmm. if my understanding of it is correct, and yeah, it right, it it will keep a limited amount of that data local on your on your drive, and it it can you can have it manage it sort of by itself, or you can give it hints about no keep copies of this stuff local, but the other stuff can just stay in the cloud. So yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. We have uh, one last note here. Yes, um, just because I'm on the list here. Um, what if you want to protect your stuff stored in the cloud? Um, there's something called Box Cryptor, and that seems to be its purpose in life. So, yes, I, you know, I've had this. I think we've mentioned Box Cryptor before, but if we haven't, it's been on the cool stuff found list and should have been mentioned in the past. Yeah. D- d- go ahead and tell people what it is. Well, uh, you go to their page and they, they pretty much explain it. Encryption for OneDrive, Dropbox, Google Drive, and many more. So, yeah, it encrypts your data and uses Dropbox, Google Drive, as John mentioned, as the storage for it. But you can't like you can't go to Dropbox's Web page and see the data. You just see the encrypted blob mm-hmm, that lives mm-hmm. up there. But that's I mean, that's pretty good. Like if you. Want, yeah. You know. Yeah. Let's see. End to end encryption. They do 2FA. Yeah. All sorts of good stuff. So. Um, we have one addition from the chat room. Paul Franz at live.macgeekab.com mentions Tarsnap, which I've never heard of before, but uh, it is online backups for the truly paranoid. Tarsnap mm-hmm. is a secure, efficient online backup service. It has encryption. Their source code is um, available, so you don't need to trust us, they say. You can check it yourself. They have deduplication so that uh, you, you're reducing your bandwidth and storage requirements and it's uh 25 cents per gigabyte per month for storage that's not cheap right because if we're looking at our 100 gigabyte thing like 25 cents times 100 gigs that's 25 bucks right if my yep I, my math is correct uh yeah so that starts to get expensive 25 cents 
They say 250 pico dollars. Who talks mm-hmm. about money in pico dollars, John? <laughs> I like this. That's the best part about this is pico dollars. So I'm going to start uh I'm going to start trying to talk in pico dollars. I think that's going to be it's going to be a disaster. Um all right. This is good. If you folks have any thoughts on this, please tell us feedback at macgeekab.com. Obviously, we did not get everything here and we may not have even thought about the right use case for you with one of the things we did get to. So tell us how you're using it. We would love to keep this conversation going, please. Absolutely. Did you say feedback at macgeekab.com, Dave? I said feedback at macgeekab.com. You heard me. It's true. Uh, I promised that I had another cool stuff found to share, and I do. And that is, um, well, two things from our friends at Bombic Software with Carbon Copy Cloner. The first is that Carbon Copy Cloner will now do bootable backups of system volumes on M1 Max. So that's good. We knew that was coming, you know, uh, but it's nice to see that it's there. The second cool thing from our friends at Bombic Software is Carbon Copy Cloner 6, uh, which is now out. And it adds, it keeps doing what Carbon Copy Cloner has always done, uh, adds to some of those things. They've, they've increased your ability to schedule things. They've big time increased the utility of snapshots and how you use them. And they've always been sort of the best snapshot uh, application or best way to manage your snapshots. And it gets even better. Uh, they have increased their smart updates and they've added something called quick updates, which uh, I will read their thing. It says, uh, are you interested in lightning quick backups with no exhaustive scanning for changes required? How about those NAS backups that took hours? Would you believe us if we said they could take as little as a few minutes? Well, it, they say that it can so that is going to be huge because I, as we just said, I back up stuff to my NAS all the time so that my NAS can back it up to the cloud. Carbon Copy Cloner 6 says it's going to make that easier for me. I just installed it this morning, so I haven't actually run any backups with it. So, uh, But they've got they, they've increased the speed. They've added a way to pause backups. That's really nice. Like if you're especially if you're backing up a spindle drive. Uh, so that good. Um, and then they've got, you know, they've added to some notifications. The one thing that I did notice right away when I launched it is that you can do task grouping now. So if you've had a bunch of different tasks in Carbon Copy Cloner and you're always like me wondering, wait, which one of these is the one that I actually run all the time and which is the one that I I don't want to delete but I rarely use, you can put all of those into like folders, essentially. I mean, they're they're not really folders, but they look like folders. You twist them open, you get my you get what it, my my drift here. So yeah, I'm stoked about Carbon Copy Cloner Sticks. Good stuff. Um, well, one thing that I wanted to say though, John, is that Carbon Copy Cloner Six will do bootable backups, but they call them legacy bootable backups in the app. So the idea of a bootable backup is really becoming a thing of the past. Uh, Apple obviously did not make it easy to do this on the M1 Max. They did not make it easy to do this in Big Sur on any Macs. Uh, our friends that make backup software, like the folks at Bombic and like the folks at uh, that make SuperDuper, have obviously figured it out, and that's great. But the idea of bootable backups is becoming a legacy thing. Uh, which is, I'm not sure how I feel about this. We might have to have Mike back, Mike Bombic back on to talk to us about why 
uh, why or why we shouldn't feel okay about this. But um, but they do call them legacy bootable because my my I put it on my M1 Mini down in the office this morning. And, you know, I made sure my backup tasks were all still there because that's important. And as I hovered over, it said, because I hadn't converted my my boot, my backup on my uh, M1 boot drive, I had not made that bootable. It's just doing a data backup. And it said, you can convert this to a legacy bootable backup. I thought, oh, that's interesting terminology. So we're going to have to unpack that a little bit, John. Mm-hmm. But, you know, fun, good stuff. So backups. We got more to talk about with backups, John. Should we uh, should we share some tips about Time Machine that came in after we talked about this in the last episode? Sure. Cool. <clears throat> All right. Well, this is <laughs> finishing up a question that we uh, answered before. So uh, uh, you can map a Time Machine drive via IP address. Um, and I have had occasions where that's more reliable than using the local network name. Um, and told John how to do this. Um, he had an important question, though. How do I find out the IP address of my time machine? Um, here's how you find out. Um, you should have airport utility, um, which will see your time capsules or time machines. Um, you go in there, and there's an Internet tab, and you have two choices, DHCP or static. So that's where you're going to find that. That makes sense. And probably set it too. yeah, I was going to say probably best to set it to be static either either right there or in your even better, I think, is in your router with a DHCP reservation. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. All right. Um, We got another comment uh, in relation to that, John. Listener Rob brought something up he says i listened to episode 871 heard you talking about mounting a time machine share using ip address he says i learned a trick several years ago and this actually sort of relates to our off-site backups conversation john and it remains valid today he says if you wish to do so you can mount a time capsule share over the internet using afp obviously you would want to encrypt your backups and use a strong password to authenticate to the time capsule itself but it works shockingly well. Uh, the convention for doing so would be the same as for SMB, which is not routable over TCP IP. So that's good for us to remember. It has to be AFP. Uh, he says, I did this originally so I could still get backups of my MacBook Pro when I'm outside of my home network. The process is the same from the finder. You select go, then you do connect to server and you say AFP colon slash slash IP address of your um, of your, you know, your um your time capsule. Now you would also, for most of us, you would also have to go into your router at home and point port 548, which is the AFP port to your time capsule so that your home IP address actually can get, you know, so you can get to that from the outside world. Again, I will, you know, I will reiterate what Rob said. You are now exposing your time capsule via AFP to the outside world, it's an unencrypted protocol. So be very aware of what you're doing, how you're doing it. Eyes wide open, folks. Probably not the best solution for us all, but certainly a workable solution. And we like to share workable solutions because we like to know everything. Eyes wide open. Um, 
So, I mean, we'd like to know everything. We couldn't possibly know everything. We like to be aware of everything so that when, when it comes up in six months, you have that thing in the back of your head and you're like, I heard about this on the show. Let me see if I can remember. Um, yeah, the only I would the, the thing I would be concerned about with this is that we are now taking something that is known to be imperfect, a.k.a. network backups of uh, Time Machine and making and adding another layer uh, of the Internet to it. So generally, the reason for corruption in network Time Machine backups is that your network connection got fritzed out during that's a technical term got fritzed out during your backup and corrupted the you know left the backup in a, a state that was non-optimal and aka corrupted adding the internet to that i would think would kind of make that worse so you know that's that's sort of my uh that would be my my big concern on that but um but you know it's doable so thank you rob I don't know. Would you do this, John? Would you back up Time Machine over the internet? Mm. No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I would either. I think I'd use one of the other options that we talked about in our thing. All right. We have lots more questions to get to, including a question of my own and then another answer of my own. I ran into some tech problems this week, which I want to share. I also want to share our next two sponsors, if that works for you, Mr. Braun. Okay. All right. Look, if you're like me, you love Amazon Prime because it is super fast to get stuff to my door. I just ordered a microphone this morning. They're telling me it's going to arrive tomorrow. I live here in like rural New Hampshire. It's pretty amazing that Amazon's able to do that. And now you can do the same thing with Amazon Pharmacy, because Amazon Pharmacy saves you time, it easily works with your doctor, and it delivers medication right to your door. This makes life so much better. No more waiting in line at the pharmacy. Your doctor's office can just send your next prescription straight to Amazon Pharmacy, and then they send it straight to you. And you can use your insurance. Amazon Pharmacy works with most insurance plans nationwide. The cool part is Amazon Prime members, we get that same experience. They offer free two-day delivery, and you can save on prescription medication when you're not paying with insurance. Very cool stuff, and you can check it out. Amazon Prime members can save on prescription medication when not using insurance and get free two-day delivery. Learn more at Amazon.com slash M-G-G-R-X. That's Amazon.com slash M-G-G-R-X. Amazon.com slash MGGRX. Get it? Mac Keycab MGGRX prescriptions. Our thanks to Amazon Pharmacy for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Skosh. Look, Skosh has been making products that we have been using for a very long time. They're really heavy on the things that you can use to charge and and really just use your devices on the go, right? We've talked about their, uh, their, you know, their charging system, the modular charging system. Well, now starting June 1st or coming June 1st, their Magic Mount MSC is a MagSafe compatible phone mount that transforms your Apple MagSafe charger into a hands-free wireless charging phone mount 
for your iPhone 12. It's going to be in a, come in a variety of mount-based styles as well as vehicle-specific mounts. This, see what I mean? What Skosh does? This is what they do. And includes a Skosh PowerVolt 20-watt power delivery car charger. Gets even better because if you visit Skosh.com, that's S-C-O-S-C-H-E.com, and use our discount code MGG20, that's MGG20, you can guess, that's good for 20% off your purchase, and it's valid through June 6th. And then you can also join the Skosh loyalty program for extra savings and deals. So go check it out. Go to Skosh.com. Don't forget to use your MGG20 code for 20% off, and our thanks to Skosh for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, I had a weird issue last week. So we recorded the show on Sunday, and then... Uh, I had band practice shortly thereafter. Now, this was our first band practice in 14 months with everybody here because, you know, COVID and all that stuff. I mean, it was awesome. It was great to get everybody back. And so the guys came. Everybody's sort of, you know, getting themselves situated here in the studio. And uh, I have the mixer that we use is on the Wi-Fi network. It's actually my iMac is our mixer. It's Logic. And everybody's experimenting with in-ear monitors now. And uh, so they all had their their phones and iPads out, not not only to control their mixes, but also to, you know, get to we use a Dropbox where we store all our files and, you know, things like that, like song uh, uh, sheets and you know chords and lyrics and things like that. And the guys were getting rolling and then suddenly they're like, uh, it says no Internet connection, Dave. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, which Wi-Fi network are you on? And they're like, oh, we're on the Dave the Nerd Wi-Fi network. I'm like, yep, that's the right one. I'm looking on my phone, no problem. Like, the internet's fine, blazing fast, you know, consolidated fiber, woo, rocking the fiber life. They weren't rocking the fiber life. No internet connection. And it was multiple devices that this is happening to. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I I don't know. And they're like, I'm just going to use my, like, data connection. It's fine. I'm like, great, you know, just get rolling. So as we're playing, like, the next song, and I'm stop. I you know stop actively thinking about how to solve this problem. You know my brain gets to work in the background, which is often the most valuable time for my particular brain. Uh, talk about like headspace, man. That's a good use of meditation is letting your brain solve problems without you thinking about them. And uh, and that was it. I, it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. I wonder if I don't have enough IP addresses to give to them. And so I, after we finished playing the song, I went over to the computer and I fired up, you know, my, when it logged into my router and I looked at the IP range, you know, the, like the DHCP allocation, it was like, that looks like about a hundred addresses that's give that have been given out. I can't see really any holes here. And so I increased it to a 150. And since then I've actually gone in and, and increased it far more. I now have, uh, instead of using a subnet mask of 255, 255.255.255.255.254.0, it's 255.255.254.0. So I get, mm-hmm. uh, I get uh, really an extra 250 addresses to use. So I'm up to, um, you know, I don't know. I think I've got 400 addresses in my DHCP pool now. And that was it. That was the problem. So add all the, you know, the, the, the Wi-Fi bulbs and all the different IOT devices and all those things that I added over the last year, uh, mm-hmm. when the guys weren't coming to the house and that's what it took. <laughs> so a hundred devices is probably not enough for your DHCP pool these days. Hmm. Now, were they getting a one, six, nine IP address? 
Probably. I didn't even look. I just, you know, I saw their devices were saying no internet connection. And it's like, okay. Yeah. But probably, I mean, probably they were either getting no IP address or, you know, it was being self-assigned eventually. So yeah, probably so. Okay. And just so people know that that's, if DHCP fails, you get a self-assigned or you, you, the, the IP stack will assign an, an IP address to you of a one six nine dot something something something, and that's usually yeah. Though you can, I mean, if you get that as an IP address, you could connect to it if you're on the same. If you network, also have right? a one sixty nine IP address, yes, yes, two devices with one sixty nine IP addresses can generally see each other. It's one sixty nine dot two fifty four. I think is is what DHCP will auto sort of mm-hmm. auto assign self assign. I should say so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, yeah. So go check that out on your router. And and I, like I said, I, it, you know, every router is different. Uh, but if your router will let you do, a, you know, a we don't call them class. They, they aren't classes anymore. It used to be that you had a class C and then you could move to a class B or whatever. Classes are out the window. So I think I moved to from a slash 20. Well, let me look this up. Cause I'm going to get this terminology wrong, John. And I don't want to, because you know, we'd like to get terminology right here. So uh, DHCP is that, did I save the notes that way? Dave ran out of DHCP. Addresses. Yeah. So I am now a uh, slash 23. I was a slash 24 on my IP range. And now I am a slash 23, which gives me, a maximum of 510 addresses. I think I have my, my range of my DHCP server set to serve out about 400 of those at the moment. But, um, but yeah, and it, it works like it, it works totally fine. So I have, you know, my, my range here at the, uh, at the house is 192.168.42.x because you know, 42, um, that also allows me to not, if I VPN into your network, cause I'm helping you troubleshoot, uh, mm-hmm. your network is probably most people out there is, you know, 192.168.1. So by not being on dot one, it doesn't confuse things. I can still access my stuff and your stuff at the same time. Uh, so I use 42 and now because I use a slash 23 instead of a slash 24, I go up, uh, instead of dot 42 dot 255 is the top range. It might, I am now at the top of my range is dot 43 dot 255. So mm-hmm. we've expanded beyond John and it works like it's, you know, it's amazing. This network stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I use a one seven two just to be different. That's no being different is good. And is mm-hmm. yours, um, is yours, what, what subnet mass do you use? Uh, are, are you a uh, uh, three two fifty five 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 two five? Yeah. Okay. All right. So you could also move to a d- d- mm. dot two fifty four on the last one and give, and then you have to go into your DHCP server mm-hmm. and tell it to assign them out. But yeah, you know, yeah. So um, yeah, Wayne Dixon it mentioned in the in the chat room that that there are still classes of IP addresses. I, you are correct that there are definitions of classes, but they have been deprecated as, as I am told, they are no longer used. If you, if we had, and we're not, but if we had network purists here, there would not, we would not be allowed to say class A, class B, class C anymore. We just talk about it in CIDR notation, which is the slash 23 slash 24, et cetera. So, um, but if somebody says class C, you know what they mean? It's okay. 
Um, John, I mentioned I had another problem, so I'm just going to bring it up. Mm -hmm. My battery on my iPhone 12 mini has been tanking when it's doing nothing. Now, I have noticed that this only happens when I'm at home. If I am somewhere else, even somewhere else on a Wi-Fi network, the rate of decline of my battery is far flatter than it is here at home. And I'm trying to figure out why that is. So it could be that, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking home. So do I have some sort of geofence? Did I let some app do a geofence? Do I have a shortcut with a geofence here at home? So I turned off in my phone. I went into, you know, privacy, uh, wherever it is, settings, privacy, location services. And I went to system services and I turned off both location for both home kit and for location-based alerts. But I only did this last night. And so it's hard to say because I was actually out at the theater last night, which is really nice to, to go see some you know stuff. But um, yeah, see, I think that was it. So far, I am proving that that was it because I did it before I left for the theater. Things were nice and flat while I was at the theater. Uh, and then things have been nice and flat while we've been doing the show here this morning. So I think... Something about location, and I, this is like very early for me to declare victory here, by the way, but uh, it certainly seems like something about either location-based alerts or HomeKit. So I got to turn one of those back on uh, at a time and see which one, but I think there's something there. I'm hoping I'm, I hoping I found it because it's, I, it's felt like a needle in a haystack here. I don't know. It's weird, man. Like it's like I leaving my phone on my desk, doing nothing with it all day. The battery would not last if I was at home, but if I was at your house, mm -hmm. it'd be fine. I, I mean, I think, I don't know. So, I mean, the other thing you may want to tweak. So yeah, if you go into location services, you can set on a per app basis. Yes. When an app is running in the background. So yes. And, and I have, I've managed that, but it's like, that hasn't helped. Um, hmm. I, but you're okay. right. Looking at which apps are allowed to use location services all, all the time versus when they're in the foreground versus all that stuff like that absolutely is, is smart to do. Uh, and I, yeah, I guess I sort of fast forwarded. I did all that and hmm. it didn't seem to help. The worst part is that the battery, um, if you go into, you know, settings, battery, you can obviously see the graphs, uh, which were shocking to me, uh, and you can also see activity, but the activity stuff, it lies, man. Like it doesn't tell the whole story. Like there's nothing in there about something is using your battery that we're not telling you about. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So anyway, hopefully, hopefully that's it. But if you've run into anything like this and you found a solution, it just seemed really weird that it was at home. And that's why I started thinking, okay, geofencing, it could mm -hmm. also be, my cell signal at home is weak and, and isn't reporting as weak. I mean, I get two or three bars here at the house. So like even inside the house. So like that shouldn't be a problem. Um, um, but you no, know, that go just got me thinking about another thing. Hold on. I'm going to find it. Settings. Cellular. Cellular data options, Dave. Okay. Voice and data. Yes. 
so there are two settings if you're on 5G. One is always do 5G, and then they have a setting called 5G Auto, which will, which says um, uh, 5G Auto uses 5G only when it will not significantly reduce battery life. Yep. So I tried. I had it on 5G Auto. I mean, this is great advice, but no, no, I'm glad you shared this because for anybody else out there having problems, this is good to know. Um, Yep. I I had it on 5G Auto for a couple of days. I switched it to LTE and for this problem, it made zero difference, Uh, which is is actually good to know because that means that 5G Auto isn't like is doing what it's supposed to do. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping this is it. Weird, man. But it could, you know, I, I like another thing it could be, but I don't think it is for me is that cell service at the house here is weak. And so it, mm-hmm. you know, because if your cell service is weak or non-existent, your phone will be overzealously trying to find a signal and that can cause battery problems too. So, all right, let's go to Joe. Joe has a question for us and I hope I can find Joe. I found him. He says, Dave and John, a few months ago, my customer unknowingly responded to a phishing email. And within minutes, the person she was speaking with over the phone connected to her computer without asking her permission. Of course, uh, when she realized she was being scammed, she ended the conversation and subsequently took precautions against identity theft and bank account credit card abuse. Then a few weeks ago, she told me that a website unexpectedly came up on her screen and she could not control the cursor. The cursor would move but not where she wanted to put it. There was a warning on the screen that turning off the computer would have dire consequences. So this is a symptom uh, that indicates that, yeah, some malicious scammer still has control of your computer. At this point, all is working properly. Uh, She did turn her Mac off and upon reboot, all was well. A few days later, I paid her a visit and found no evidence of malware on her machine. He says, at this point, all is working properly, but I am concerned that either of the above events could recur. I'm thinking that it would be advantageous to change the IP address of her Comcast gateway. Is it possible to do that? Comcast told me the only way to get a different IP address would be to replace the gateway. Do you agree with Comcast? Is changing that IP address a good way to stop these events from happening again? So I want to answer your Comcast question, but um, I don't think that's the solution here. Generally speaking, it's something running on that computer that is allowing these people in. It will go and open a port on the router and essentially invite people that are coming to that port to go to the computer. And I think this is why rebooting that computer dealt with this, Um, especially if there's no lingering malware running on the machine. And, you know, we'll have to trust the tools that you're in to, to confirm that. But um but generally, I'm sure what happened here is that your client, you know, got uh, this phishing email, clicked a link that in her, uh, I think you said she, yeah, in her browser, uh, you know, op- told, ran some applet or something that opened a port for remote access, right? I mean, this is all doable. Anyone, anyone that's been on a Google Meet call, which you attend via your browser, and then said, yeah, I want to let somebody else control my screen. Like, th- that's a thing. And it's awesome. But it also means that it can be done when you don't necessarily want it, especially if you've already given permission to the browser to do things like that. So, um, so yeah, the uh, 
the 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 trick would be making sure that it truly was just a web app that was running and allowing this and not something else that was running and allowing this. I would change the passwords on the computer of all user accounts. That would be something to do. I'm looking in the chat room here. Yeah, Kiwi Graham is is chiming in at live.macgeekab.com. Uh, says that remote desktop software would uh, show up won't show up in malware scans necessarily. That's true because some remote desktop software is acceptable. So making sure that, that there isn't any of that running on the computer, Wayne Dixon offers uh, a conservative approach, wipe the machine and start over and not restore from a backup, but copy the data over. That would be the, you know, certainly a way to go, but I don't think changing, I don't think it's the IP address is the magic answer here because if there is remote desktop or remote access software running on the computer, it will simply go once it has a new IP address, it will go out and and report that to whomever mm-hmm. it was asked to. What do you think, John? Oh, I had something a while ago where, yeah, a, a, a window popped up on my screen saying, oh, my gosh, your Mac's infected. Um, you know, click on this. Or I think it was called this number. No, it was called this number. And then when I called them, they were like, okay, can you go to, um, I think it was log me in or something. They're like, yeah, can you go to uh, d- type this in and go here? And I'm like, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, the thing is that what they were trying to do was install malware um, on my machine by my giving them remote access. The thing is, I was toying with them. So I actually gave them remote access, but when they got to the point where they could install software, I basically ended the session. Yeah, of course. I'm like, yeah. you should make better choices in life because you're going to get caught. And they were like, yeah, try it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I reported because they were using a 1-800 number. So I reported it to the uh, FTC federal trade trade commission sure. uh, likes to go after people that do this. Unfortunately, it's super easy to spoof a caller ID. Mm-hmm. So it, it probably wasn't their number, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as changing the IP address, if you want to change your IP address, again, I don't think that's what's going to help here, but it's a good question, you know, uh, knowing what it is that changes your IP address. Um, I actually just had something hit me that I will share after I, after I answer Joe's question. Um, with a cable modem, your IP address is tied to the hardware address, sometimes called the Mac address of whatever device is the router. So if you have a Comcast gateway, that is a combination cable modem and router and Wi-Fi access point, right? Um, If you have your own and you can't change the hardware address of that device, so they're right that you would have to get a new one or pull it offline long enough such that Comcast's DHCP servers forgot the address they had assigned to you and then hope that you get a new one. And that may be 24 to 72 hours. So like probably not what you're going to do because you don't want to be offline for 24 to 72 hours. So getting a new gateway would be the easy way. If you have your own router, oftentimes routers will have a feature called Mac address cloning. And it's so that if you move from an old router to the new router, you don't 
have to change your IP address. You clone the Mac slash hardware address from the old router to the new one. And then Comcast's DHCP servers or anybody else's don't know that you have changed devices and you get the same address and all as well. So you could use Mac address cloning to force a change of the Mac address. I don't entirely recommend just picking Mac addresses at random because they are supposed to be mainly unique. Um, I, I, I don't like using the word unique with any qualifier because something is either unique or is not. There's there's no very unique, um, but uh, it is a binary sort of descriptor. But anyway, Mac addresses are supposed to be unique. And probably best not to start mucking around with that unless you know of one that of an old device you threw away that you can use. And so in that regard, it's not a bad idea to save Mac addresses of old routers you throw away. But that would be the way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm not thrilled with the, uh, you know, privacy feature in iOS that comes up with a random Mac address. Right. I mean, it's kind of clever, but then on the other hand, what, what if, they, how do they know they're not selecting? Well, I suppose, well, I don't know. I mean, what if you have two devices on your network with the same MAC address? It'll, you'll get a, your, your device will get a warning that. that oh, right, right, right. And so it, I'm presuming that Apple has accounted for this and would mm. for, and would, would say, oh, wait, okay. I just picked this. I'm going to pick a new. You know, and uh, so that th that's generally how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John, I had a thought about my mm -hmm. I ran out of DHCP addresses and the timing of this. I think this problem has been going on longer than just when the boys and fling showed up to rehearse. I have been having now that I think about it, I've been having weird issues with a few devices on my network. For the last few months. So I think I've been running up against this limit for a while. One thing that changed is I moved from Comcast with a cable modem connection to consolidated with a fiber connection. And I love it. Mm -hmm. But there is one feature that Comcast offers that consolidated does not. And that is IPv6. If I had been running IPv6 on my network, those guys would have been able to connect to the Internet at least sort of. Like as long as they were connecting to IPv6 destinations, and I think like Dropbox is an IPv6 destination, they, I, I think they would have been able to get online. And I don't think their devices would have yelled at them about that. So uh, I think not running IPv6 may have been part of the formula to highlight that I had an IPv4 DHCP uh, constraint happening on my network. So I just wanted to share that as the realization sort of came here. Mm -hmm. All right, you want to? Uh, I don't know. Any thoughts no, on that before I move? Yeah, on? we're good. Okay, cool. And and here's another realization I came to, Dave. So I fixed the problem thanks to our pal Dan. Um, so Dan wrote in. Uh, hold on here. Uh, there we are. Um, yeah, my stuff's coming up in Evernote now. Isn't that great? And that's yes. I'm very happy about this. As, I, put the leg, I don't know what's wrong with their current client. though. Well, they, it keeps having these caching issues. We don't have enough time left in the show to talk about what's wrong with Evernote's current client. But okay. What we will talk about is, um, so Dan says, haven't been able to attend the live show recently due to work, but I've heard John mention scheduling a restart leaves the Mac in an off state. Is file vault turned on? If file vault is turned on and a password is not entered on reboot after a short period of time, the Mac will turn off. 
And, you know, I think that's exactly what was happening, Dave. So I'm like, hmm. Let me try this. So first, uh, both my Macs are T2 Macs. Um, right. The thing is, turning on File Vault on a T2 Mac is different than how you did it in the past. Um, and pretty much what I decided to do was, you know what? I'm going to turn off File Vault. Now, you may be like, that's crazy. You know, your data won't be protected. Well, it actually is. Um, and we got an article from our pal Glenn Fleischman called How File Vault and the T2 Security Chip Work Together in Newer Macs. Uh, so once I, and, and that was the key. And then I went to setting or system preferences, users and groups, login options. Um, what you can do is automatically log in a specific user. Isn't that handy? Right. Were you not doing that prior? Is that right? No, I was not. Got it. Okay. It was prompting me for the file vault password. Um, Got it. Got it. So here's what I did. And and so if you go to users and group login options, there's actually a little question mark, which is help. Um, and it specifically says, oh, by the way, you can. Oh, but here was the thing is I, when I tried to select automatic login, it was grayed out and it said off. And I'm like, well, no, I want to automatically log in. And it's like, no, 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 no. You got to turn off file vault. And they warn you of this in, in the help article. So here's what I did. Um, so I turned it off. All right, hold on. Let's see. So what else to do? All right. So turned it off. Um, and then where did I go? Oh, and that was it. And then, yeah, I and I scheduled it. restart yeah. and, and it restarted. Um, the thing is, is system preferences. Now, you may say, well, your machine's not protected against the evildoers. Well, it kind of is. If you go to system preferences, security and privacy general require password immediately after sleep or screensaver. So, so if my machine restarts, um, after a few minutes, it's going to lock the screen and then you got to type in my password in order right. to get back in. Right. So there right. is some protection. Now, if somebody managed to be in my house at, immediately after the restart where I automatically log in, then yes, there's a chance they could. Well, no, they could just turn your computer off and turn it back on. Right, right, right. And then they can get in Mm -hmm. the way. And you're totally right about all of that. The way I feel about that is if someone is in my house, I have bigger problems (laughs) than them getting into like, they're going to get, they've, they've made it inside my house. We like, wow, there's an issue here. So yeah, 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 yeah. But you're right. That auto login there is a security hole there. That's true. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it's an option. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, interesting about the T2 or the file vault keeping you from, from rebooting. Uh, I mean, of course that was one of my issues and it's, this is actually why I don't use file vault on any of my desktop Macs because if I'm remote and I'm having a problem and I need to force a computer to restart, if I'm not there to type in the password, there is a way. I know there's something I can do at the terminal to like pre-populate yes. the password, but you have It'll, right the right incantation. You can bypass the the password request. Yeah, it like embeds it in the. Yeah, no, Kiwi Graham's got it there um, in the chat room. So remote restart and bypass file ball. Check that the Mac is capable of this. FDE setup supports auth restart. So that would be the command to run in the terminal. And we'll put these commands in the show notes. But if I 
It is true on my computer. Okay, so that's step one. Great. And then uh, you authorize the bypass with sudo FDE setup auth restart. Okay. Um, and then you say delay minutes minus one. But then you have to do it at the next restart, right? Like you have to do, right? Or is that, will it, uh, Kiwi Graham, hopefully you're listening here. Will doing this make it happen a hundred percent of the time or only the next time? That's the question here. And we'll, we'll put this in the show notes too. That will allow next restart. Okay. Thank you, Kiwi Graham. So this, this isn't this, you have to think about this every single time. Um, otherwise it won't work, but yeah. Okay. I like it. Mm -hmm. I, this is good. This is good. Good, good, good. Um, yep. And then you got to restart immediately. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Thank you for this. We'll, we'll clean this up and make it nice, nice in the show notes. Okay. Uh, that's, um, that's going to do it for today. This has been mm -hmm. fun. I like this. This went nowhere that I thought it would go. I mean, it mm -hmm. sort of did. We talked about offsite backups, which I wanted to get to, obviously. Uh, great question and hopefully valuable to all of us. But um, but then we then we went nuts. So this was like, you know, um, this was geek therapy here. We needed help with our own stuff, mm -hmm. John. So I like it. I like it. Fun. Fun, fun. All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for all your help. Everybody, you can see how engaging things can be with the live uh, chat room, live.macgeekup.com. Please, if you if mm -hmm. you are available when we record, join us there because you can see how much fun it can be. Um, we do our best to keep it all sort of uh, on point and relevant, and hopefully we did that today. You can learn when we are going to be live in the chat room by subscribing to our calendar at macgeekgab.com slash calendar. That is literally the same calendar that John and I use for our scheduling. So if it's in there, we're going to be here. And hopefully we don't put some personal events in that calendar and invite you all to those too. <laughs> but it's happened. It's happened. There was one like not so public Apple briefing or something that I put in there for a day once. And I was like, oh. But uh, thankfully, we're, we're all in the family here at Mac Geekab, and so the, the trust we extend to you is, uh, is, is large. And we, and, we, and we know we get it in return. It's awesome. We love what, we, love what we're able to do here together. All right. Uh, what else do we got, Mr. Braun? Anything else to talk about here? Anything I think that's to, about it. All right. Uh, you want to tell them where to find us? Uh, Instagram.com slash MacGeekGab. That's the place to go. That's yeah. new. It is relatively new. That's true. Well, mm -hmm. we've had it for a while, but we're mm -hmm. actually doing something with it. That's what's new. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird scrolling through my Instagram feed when I see me and it's like, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's good, though. Like, that's that's sort of the point. The idea is... Um, the idea is we're, we're trying to uh, not just in, increase engagement, but, you know, help expose Mac Geek Gab to a, a bigger audience. And so mm -hmm. you can help with that, folks. If you see those things on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you see stuff that we're posting, we're posting lots of little things. We've actually hired somebody. Uh, we've got Sadie on board and she is chopping up our segments and putting them out. That's why all of that's happening. If you see those, share them with a friend. Like, that's the mm -hmm. best way to grow this audience is to, to show people what we do here on the show. And that's why we're chopping things up. So please, yeah, share. 
We, that, like that, truly, that's our ask for this week. Please share. All right. That's what I got. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks for uh, checking out our sponsors. Of course, we had uh, headspace.com slash MGG, maxsales.com, amazon.com slash MGGRX, skosh, at skosh, S-C-O-S-C-H-E.com, code MGG20, of course. And then you can visit macgeekup.com slash sponsors to learn about all our other active sponsor deals, even if they're not active sponsors, a lot of sponsors don't cancel like their coupon codes. And so we check those about once a month to make sure they're valid. But go MacGeekUp.com slash sponsors. Yeah. Well, Dave, I got us in, so I might as well get us out. Asymmetrical, I, I know, but... Um... Or symmetrical. Yeah. Well, it's it's like bookended. I like that idea. That's good. Yeah. But um my advice to you, Dave, and to everyone listening and everyone watching is these three important words, and that's don't get caught. Made up.